All right, welcome back to another episode of The Legacy Blueprint. I'm your host, Joe Evangelisti. Super excited today, we have a guest, Toby Mathis. Uh, Toby is an attorney who specializes in, well, a lot of things today we're gonna cover, uh, which I think are gonna be uh, super, super beneficial, especially for those that follow in the real estate space. Uh, we're gonna talk about how you can make a lot of more money, save a lot more money, avoid um, paying those taxes, right? Right, Toby, avoid paying taxes, but also how to create some legacy for yourself, how to create better estate planning practices. We're going we're gonna to be all over the place today, but I think ultimately you guys are going to have some major, major takeaways from Toby. So do yourself a favor, make sure you grab a notepad, make sure you grab a pen and make sure you get ready to take notes because this is going to be chock full of, uh, of great takeaways. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Toby. Toby, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Toby, we just did a little, um, you know, five, 10 minute quick overview of some of the things that we're going to talk about today on the show. And, mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm, I'm personally super excited. I've already taken half a page worth of notes. We haven't even got started yet. So, so, um, you know, just to get off, you know, just getting started here, maybe a couple tax loopholes or, you know, some of the things that people mm -hmm. miss when they're getting um, started, just planning out their real estate investment careers. What are some of the things that maybe they don't even think about and maybe they get into year five, year 10 and they wish they had thought about when they got started? There's a, there's a bunch of big ones, but I'll just say it, it always depends on the type of activity that you're doing as to whether you're going to go into kind of the good area or the bad area, if, you know, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. I went to Catholic school. So when you were misbehaving, the nuns would come over and whack you. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's the bad area. In tax, it literally comes from taxari, which is the Latin word for to censure or express severe disapproval. So if you're paying a tax, there's a good chance you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Or that if you're doing it, they're just going to punish you. And so a lot of us work for a living, like you get your W-2 wages and you get hit federal tax, state tax, old age, death and survivors, Medicare, FUDA, SUDA, all these wonderful things that they hit you with. And if you're getting hit, that's an indication that maybe you should be doing something else and real estate's on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing, if you're in real estate is figuring out whether your activity is getting hit or not and making sure that if you are getting hit, you're minimizing that and you're using that energy that, 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 you know, where you're getting hit with something bad and turning it into something good. Cause there's usually a loophole that allows you to take that and turn it into something really good. So for example, if I'm working W-2 wages, I can contribute to retirement plans. If I have passive income, I cannot. Mm. So if I am going to be in an activity like wholesaling, flipping, real estate agent, whatever, where I have the W-2 type income or what I call dealer income subject to Social Security, I may as well use that to create benefits for myself. And so the first part is knowing what type of income falls into which category. And uh, that's a big one. And then if you're investing, there's nothing better on the tax planet than being an investor in real estate because you literally can buy more real estate and trade it for more real estate and never pay tax on it. When you pass away, speaking of a legacy, your basis in those properties steps up to the fair market value and your heirs don't pay any tax. Or if you're smart and you're keeping it in a trust and they're just getting the, the income off of it, it, the basis steps up and they start depreciating it again. So you get to write it off again against all that income. So there's a good chance that your heirs will have tax-free income. There's just nothing better than, than investment real estate from a tax standpoint. So it's just knowing whether you have the good type 
or the bad type and transitioning the bad type over to the good type. So it's, it's just kind of knowing and it doesn't take long. It's actually pretty easy. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, common sense to figure out whether something falls into which category. But that said, 99% of the accountants out there screw it up. They don't do it. So they screw it up because they try to read it out of a book. You got to actually be doing. I love, I love that. You just said a mouthful and there's a few things. There's a few big takeaways that I think I don't want the audience to miss. Um, number one is, and we talked about this. I, I just did an interview with a good friend of mine, Tim Bratz, who, who is a apartment syndicator. He's just bought a, a ton of units in the last few years. Um, number one is, you just said, start with the end in mind, right? Having some sort Absolutely. of plan of figuring out what it is that you're trying to accomplish. A lot of people are kind of just willy nilly getting into it and not really, you know, uh, planning on what it is that they're trying to accomplish. So the more you know what it is you're trying to do, uh, the better someone like yourself can actually help, you know, design that plan for you. Um, and the second one is getting a CPA on your side, right? Someone yeah. who actually knows how to control um, that tax plan as well. Right, Toby? I mean, that's, here's an, here, here's an easy rule. Ask your CPA whether, whether they're a real estate investor, ask your attorney, whether they're a real estate investor. If they're not go to the next one, Yeah, you're going to learn things by doing that. You're never going to get out of a book. You're never going to get from school. You're never going to get by working on uh, clients. You have to be immersed in it. Yeah. You got to like, you really need, like if you're going to be a, if, if you're going to work with real estate investors and you're a professional, you need to do what they're doing. Otherwise you'll never be able to conceptualize what the heck it is that they're doing. Totally off topic. I remember the first time I walked into my CPA's office. He's been my CPA now for like eight years. And when I first sat down with him, he had these these three ring binders all stacked behind him. It's like kind of like, uh, they're not going to see the video, but you have that bookcase. He had all these three ring binders stacked behind him on his bookcase. And I said to him, Paul, what, what are all those binders? And he's like, those are all my LLCs. And, and, you know, I was like, what? you know, LLCs or corporations, whatever he called them at the time. But I said, yep. for what? And he goes, well, those are all my investment companies. And then I thought, you're my dude, right? <laughs> We're doing business together. You know what if I mean? If he figures that out, then it's, it's on, you know, <laughs> you grab him and you hug him and you give him big kisses. <laughs> absolutely. And I've referred him to dozens and dozens of clients since we started doing yep. this. But yeah, absolutely. If your CPA is not in the game, find a CPA that's in the game. I love that. So yeah. Um, Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, we've, uh, I, I love this question. You know, is there any, you know, to get to the impact and that's the level that you've, you've obviously impacted a ton of people. You have to fail in order to create success. Is there, are there any bumps along the road? Any, any, I call them favorite failures. Have you ever had that time where like you've, you've kind of stumbled along the way and you've gone, man, that really hurt. But that, that, that lesson I learned along the way was something that, you know, I, I wouldn't trade for it for anything. Joe, I've been doing this for 20 something years. Uh, like I was telling you earlier, we have over a hundred properties. We have uh, 150 single family residences, plus a bunch of buildings and warehouses. I've made every mistake you could probably make and still be alive and walking around and being okay. I've had trees <laughs> fall on properties. Uh, but I'll tell you, one of the first ones is uh, my partner and I, Clint Coons, who's a fantastic tax attorney in his own right. Uh, and he's a you know, again, he grew up in real estate. We're, we're, we're strong in real estate because there's just nothing better from a tax perspective than, uh, than, than rental real estate. And you, tax code tells us what to do and, and we follow, we listen. Uh, but when he and I first got started, we were doing very, very well in our firm. Our firm has about 250 people to give you an idea. But when we were first getting started, we had our first, uh, you know, about a $10 million a year and you're feeling really good about yourself. But we figured out how to get our taxes down to zero. And so there's some things you can do when you're, uh, when you're an accrual-based taxpayer. We were able to defer a lot of the tax. 
So we got our taxes down to zero. And we, we were sitting there patting ourselves on the back about how smart we were. And we were espousing it to everybody. Hey, you want to pay zero tax? Well, the problem is, and this was in the early, uh, late, late 1990s, early 2000s, when the tech bubble went poofsh. And there was a lot of opportunity in real estate. And guess what we couldn't get? We couldn't get a flipping loan because mm. every time you go into the bank, they'd say, well, you make no money. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we say, no, no, we make lots of money. We make millions of dollars. Da, 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 da. And they look at you and go, like, what are you, a tax cheat? Yeah. Because your tax return says you make nothing. Yeah. And you learn a very, very valuable lesson, which is you need to look the way that you want the other party to look, you know, see you as. Yeah. And so if I want to be a real estate investor, I'm probably going to want to have taxable income. Mm-hmm. So I can qualify for the loans and level up yeah. unless I am doing just syndications, unless I am doing uh, just asset based lending and they'll still look at your credit and they'll still be looking at your income. Yeah. You just need to know exactly what they want to see before you apply. Yeah. I think, I think we've all learned that exact lesson. Anyone with history in, uh, in real estate investing, I've actually taught that exact same lesson quite a few times. Yeah. You know, you, you almost have to balance it. What years do I want to pay taxes so that I can balance that return? So you know, years that I know I'm going to be in front of the banks versus years that I might not have to be. And, you know, um, it's a really, really valuable lesson. And a lot of, I don't think a lot of real estate investors that uh, are on that growth swing are thinking about that because you know a lot of CPAs, even even the ones that uh, frankly are real estate investors, I think you might might agree, they're always just trying to save you taxes, no matter any way, shape, or form that they can. They'll take all the write-offs. You know, you, maybe you don't you pay very little taxes, even though you made a lot of income that year, and yep. then next thing you know, you're in front of the bank, like you said, and uh, they're denying your loan because uh, you know, hey, I made we can a lot get of you to zero. Prove we it. can get you pretty like oh, even a W two wage earner. Yeah. There's ways to get you to zero. Absolutely. But should not, you get to zero? Not always the best uh, solution for, for your issues. Sometimes, sometimes you know, you do have to pay some taxes and it's a beneficial, it's beneficial for, the, for the long term or maybe the, the short term, depending on the, that loan status you're looking for. So, um, so, Toby, advice for maybe that young entrepreneur that uh, just graduated high school is just getting into this, uh, maybe, maybe not real estate investing, maybe, maybe anything for that example, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe you know somebody that's, that's just getting out of high school or just getting into the world today and um, you know, they're just getting started. Well, Joe, I teach financial stewardship and I do it to kids and I try mm-hmm. to get to them before they can get to school and get poisoned and get their brains manipulated awesome. and end up with a bunch of student debt, which by the way is about tripled since the recession. Yep. Uh, you can't bankrupt it. You can't get rid of it. It's, it's, it's all over you. So once you get that student debt, you got to be real careful. You got to make sure you're getting a, a return on your investment into your education too. But what I always tell them is um, first off, don't worsen your position. If you're 18 and you have no debt, that's like, that's your starting point. Make mm. sure that you're 30 with no debt or that you have assets paying for any debt you have. There is good debt, which is when the asset's actually paying for it. And so what I try to uh, articulate to people is that there's something called infinity investing mm. where if I have enough passive cash coming through, I don't have to work anymore. And so if you're 21, 22, 23, 24, whatever it is, and you can live off of $3,000 a, a month, fantastic buy enough assets that are paying money to you that it can cover your $3,000 a month expense before you start increasing that expense. And if you do that, you will not get yourself hurt. You can always go back and live off of a minimal amount, but you got to have that income coming in. And there's really only a few investments out there that qualify. Rental real estate's one of them. Dividend paying stock is another. 
maybe having some notes out there and having interest. Um, if you're a writer, maybe it's doing some copyrights or things like that, but it's very few things. It's rents, royalties, interest, dividends. And, and, and I look at short-term capital gains on the sale of options as being in that category, but it's really rents, royalties, interest, and dividends. Hmm. Uh, but I, I really, it's like monopoly. Yeah. You're going around that board the first few times, you buy everything you can to create rental income and you know, and you trade your rentals into hotels. Well, you, if you do that in life, you'll be okay. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> so, um, Toby, give me some bit of advice that you hear in your industry today that you consider bad advice. What do you hear oh, I, talking about we, all the time? Yeah, we get it all the time. So yeah. the, usually the bad advice comes from a lack of knowledge. Like I don't think that they're dispensing bad advice cause they, mm-hmm. they, they want to, but quite often they're looking at it and they're myopic they know their little area and they don't understand how it interrelates with others. So for example, in the tax world, I'm a tax attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll hear people trying to get you, you know, to write everything off and, and, and to pay no tax. And they're, they're, they're going into some weird areas, sometimes being a little over, overly aggressive. And I look at it and say, that's a good way to, to pay no tax, but then you can get no loans. So that's, that's the obvious one. It's like, you got to look at it and balance it with what your objectives are from a business. The other one is uh, there's a lot of risky behavior out there. Somebody will go out there and like, let's say it's a doctor and they buy a bunch of rental properties. They go to Indianapolis and they're going to buy the $75,000 rental. And somebody will say, just carry some good insurance. And you're looking at them going, wait a second. It's not the rental property that's just at risk. It's everything you own. So if you're doing anything out there that's a business, uh, it can follow you around personally unless you isolate it. And so you'll see people do this where they're trying to skimp on the cost of doing an LLC. For example, you mentioned your attorney mm. or your accountant having all these LLCs. You do that so that you can cut the risk. Mm. Uh, you were Navy, right? Mm-hmm. So on a vessel, you have the ability to shut off areas of, the, of a vessel so that the whole thing doesn't sink if the water breaches. So, you know, you can, you, you have, you have these bulkheads that you can close up and say, all right, we're not going to let it go beyond there. It's no different in real estate. You don't, you can choose, Hey, I'll lose two or three properties, but, but that one property will go back to the, the doctor. That one property could follow that doctor around for the rest of his life or her life. If there was a liability occurrence. And so let's say you didn't put it in an LLC you're, you're playing it cheap. You had some insurance and you had a major catastrophic accident on that, which does happen from time to time, you just, all of a sudden, you're going to have that garnishment following you around literally until you retire. It's not like you can just say, oh, here's the house and I'm done. No, you need to put a box around it. And I see people not doing that. And I unfortunately usually get them when they're in the middle of the lawsuit. I mean, we focus on asset protection a lot around here. And by the time they're in the lawsuit, it's too late. Yeah. And they're going too late. And then the last thing I see is there's just really bad information out there about estate planning. Everybody thinks it's death planning Mm. and there's nothing further from the truth. It is not about death. It is about it creating something that's going to create a legacy for for a long term. You use the worm legacy. I actually call it a legacy trust. Mm. And the funny thing is, is it's cheaper than doing nothing and it's cheaper than doing wills and the, the typical death planning. Because we avoid court. We want to avoid court at all expenses, really. You, don't, you never want to go to court. If you, if you never go and see the inside of a courtroom and have to stand in front of a judge, you're okay. There's nobody that goes to court often other than lawyers who says, 
gee, that was a fun thing. I want to do that again. It's never a good thing. Never a good thing. So you want to avoid it. And in estate planning, there's two ways to do it. There's one way that avoids it and one way that guarantees that you go to court. And 99% of the people use the one that guarantees that they have to go to court, only it's not them, it's their heirs that are going. And that's almost always a bad situation. So I feel like a lot of people, um, they, they always find that, uh, that, that uh, you know, if and when X happens, I'll, I'll do the right thing. I'll plan. I'll do, you know, when, when I have 10 properties, I'll meet with, uh, you know, somebody and figure out my LLC situation. When I, when I get that next thing or when I have kids, I'll figure out my estate planning situation. When is the right time for, for this type of planning or do you, do you, do you find is, you know, the, the opportune time to, to figure all this stuff out? It's always smarter to know what your exit before your before you enter. Mm-hmm. You always want to know what, what what it is. You know, it's like driving a. Some of you guys ride motorcycles, right? Mm-hmm. I love using motorcycles as an example because it, because if you're looking out into the horizon, you can have stuff that's out in the in the corner of your eye, and you're able to track it. But if you start staring at the stuff or you look down at the road, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that's where your bike's going to go. Yeah. And so when you're putting together a plan, you want to be looking out in the future. I tell people to do a 200-year plan. Do a 200, 300-year plan. It's going to change the way you behave today mm. just by saying, all right, where you, where, what's your estate going to look like? Because that takes them out of the mix. Yeah. And then they're saying, oh, I got to create something that's going to live long beyond me. Hmm. So I'm not, it usually takes away most of the bad habits Yeah. right away. And you want to do that ahead of time. Uh, this is completely aside, but these are kind of fun stories. Uh, he, he had a client once that came in and it was, it was a dad and he was very successful and he wanted his son to get involved in his business. And this, the kid, uh, I always say like he was eating paste in the back of the room. The kid was like, Hey, what's up, man? And I was like, I swear to God, he was stoned out of his mind, right? Or he's eating paste. Um, and his dad was like, I really want to get him involved in my business. And I'm like, <laughs> don't, don't. Yeah. Um, but he wanted his kid to learn how to run a business. And I said, well, then have, a, have him run his own business. And the dad was like, well, don't you need to have an idea first? And I said, no, come up with a business. Um, you can mix some other expenses in there. There's ways to do it. Use it as a management company. And, um, and you're not going to put all your assets at risk. And you're able to get a bunch of tax write-offs for, you know, as, as you're going down this path of trying to start up this, this business. So the kid went out and... Um, because his dad was kind of staking this and I said, what do you like to do? And he goes, I really like the internet. So he goes out and creates a website and a long story short is he come back in about a, uh, about a, the next quarter, a few months later and we're looking at his site and what he did is he created a site where people would put pictures and things like that on the site that they could attach to emails. Now this was in 1998. So this was the beginning of emojis which is like at, at the time I'm looking at this kid going, what the heck is, you know, what are you up to? But he was getting so much traffic on his site. We went to Yahoo. Google wasn't really the big dog yet. And he was making $30,000 a month off of banner ads because people were coming to this site. Mm-hmm. He ended up selling it to MySpace for just under a million bucks. Uh, and it was within a year. So here's this 18 year old kid who I thought was just out of his mind on some <laughs> substance. I would never have predicted that he would have made money, but he had an, like he had the incentive system already in place. And so I I started saying, gosh, do you need to have the idea first or the business first? And I realized you just need to have the business. And so I started looking at examples. Sony was a toaster 
manufacturer. Uh, Motorola was a battery repair shop. Marriott was an A&W stand, like the big, huge hotel started out as an A&W root beer stand. <laughs> Hewlett Packard, those guys were just a couple engineers in their garage and they said, we, we want to learn how to engineer things. So it just brought me back to this whole idea is I have no way to predict the future. Yep. All I know is that if you create an incentive to do something, you don't have to have the idea ahead of time, set up the business and then fake it till you make it. Yeah. Let the business kind of give you the incentive and you never know where it's going to come from. Yeah. In the case of the, of the paste eating kid, the dad was a successful securities trader mm. and the kid never traded a security in his life, made a cool million just on his, you know, kind of half brained idea, but his dad gave him the incentive to do it and the, the vehicle to do it in. And I'll be danged. I've seen that play out over and over and over again over the last uh, few decades. It's crazy. It, it's crazy how that stuff happens. It's crazy. So, so you would say, have, have the incentive, have the interest in being successful, but, but plan for it now. So, so people yeah. could contact you and they could, you would have a consult with them and, and say, this is how we should lay it out and then go for it. Yeah, what we always do is, so in our, in our world at Anderson, I'll just say my firm's Anderson uh, mm -hmm. Business Advisors, uh, what we look at doing is really kind of like a five-step process. And you always start by looking at all the risks that are out there. So even if you're just like little sole proprietor, Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, from a tax standpoint, don't be a sole proprietor. Uh, 70, uh, excuse me, you're 1200% more likely to be audited. You're going to pay more than your corporate brethren by the, by, by about $10,000 a, a year on your first hundred thousand. Like it's, it's literally, there's no reason you lose 95% of the audits that you get into. Uh, you're, it's just not a good path. It's the cheapest path and it's the ones they point to, but it's just not a good path. Um, usually what I do when I'm setting somebody up is, is I'm looking at the risks that could follow them, but it leads us into good tax ideas too. So the person who sets up the sole proprietorship, they, let's say that they decide they're going to do a podcast. We'll just use that as an example. Mm -hmm. And then they defame somebody. Well, that defamation suit doesn't go away just because they have no money. It's going to follow them around. I can renew that judgment for every 10 years and I could I could wait for you to make money and I could take it from you. Mm -hmm. If you put it in an entity, then at least you can close the entity and be done with the liability and get on with your life. And that's, sure. you know, we have a president right now that's done that on multiple occasions and people make fun of him for it. But Disney did it like a lot of really big Trump obviously did it, but you'll have a, you'll have bankruptcies, McDonald's, all these different guys. They've done these things where they're, they're just being smart about it. You're saying, Hey, if this one fails, I don't want it to take out all of my other activities. <clears throat> sure. And so whenever you start, make sure you're putting it in the right structure mm -hmm. and the incentives are there for you to do it. It'll more than pay for itself. People ask me, all right, if, if you have a good tax attorney or CPA, how much, you know, how much should you be paying them? I should say it should be a negative number. Mm -hmm. They should be saving you more than they cost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, what do we need to know about the new tax laws? What's, what's changed in the last couple of years? I know I, I, it's not like they send out a, a, you know, a, a banner ad across Google and say, uh, check this out. I mean, you know, in your CPA is sending you out uh, updated emails and if they did, I don't think anybody's checking them anyway. So, so what's changed recently that people need to know about anything? There's some huge ones. Tax cut and jobs act got rid of all the miscellaneous itemized deductions for an individual. So you, you no longer getting to write those off on your schedule a, that could be attorney's fees, accounting fees as an individual, uh, management expenses you're paying, any unreimbursed expenses from an employer, you don't get to write any of those things off. Uh, the entertainment expenses are gone. 
for everybody, for businesses. You cannot write off entertainment. It used to be that's meals and entertainment. That, that's a yeah. That's like again, it, people buy box seats or club level seats and things like that at at uh, venues for football or entertainment or concerts, whatever. Can't write that stuff off anymore. Uh, big one is they moved the corporate tax rate for C corps to flat twenty one percent. They cut that almost in half. That's huge. Uh, to, to give a, uh, a nod to the people that are flow-through entities, they gave a, it's 20% deductions on qualified business income. Um, and then a huge one was the bonus depreciation, which for real estate investors, this is massive for you guys. If you're not taking advantage of it, that's where you do the cost segregation and, mm -hmm. and you're writing off parts of that, uh, of your structure. And it could be residential, it could be a single uh, rental unit or a building but you're breaking it into its components and there's different types. It could be five-year property, seven-year property, 15-year property. You can write that all off in year one now, which can be a massive, massive hmm. tax savings. Boy, you're teaching me something here, Toby. First of all, A, I never knew you could do that on a single family rental property. I've only, I, I've only ever done that on my commercial properties and I've done it on probably every commercial property we own, but I've never knew we could do that on a single family property. And now you're saying it's gone from, I believe it used to be five years, didn't it? Uh, so you had five, seven, and fifteen-year property, and you had fifty percent bonus depreciation. Some years, some years yeah. it was less. Yeah. Some years, yeah. And now you're saying it's one year. It's one hundred percent. So you could elect instead of taking it over five years, you could elect like your carpeting. Yeah. In a in in a residential, you go in there and you say it's twenty thousand dollars worth of carpeting. Oh, I have a twenty thousand dollar deduction. I could take this year, or I could take it over five. But if you did the default, you'd take it over 27 and a half years. If it's a commercial property, you'd take it over 39 years. It's crazy. Yep. Wow. That's oh, awesome. it gets better. If you're selling a property, here's a, here's a rub. So you do buildings, right? So you mm -hmm. do syndications. When you sell that syndication, if you don't isolate out the personal property, you'll end up paying tax uh, on the depreciation recapture on that at, at a max of 25%. If that property is worthless, it's capital gains. So when you sell a building, you're selling the carpet and you're paying 25% on it as recapture when that carpeting is worth zero. And if it was long-term capital gains, the max is 20%, 15% for some people, zero for others. Wow. So you're literally taking something and cutting a, like we just did one of these on a $2 million building and it saved us $80,000 on the sale. And we did the cost segregation right before sale. So a lot of like, there's a lot of misunderstanding on how this stuff works. It's a huge, powerful tool, especially this year, next year. It's like they gave us a huge incentive. And, you know, I, I, I do this as a living and I hear about it so seldom from other professionals. I'm shocked. I'm like, you guys don't know that's out there. You should be telling your clients. I always say there's a lot of pause and rewind moments in my podcast, and that was one of them, folks. Like, go back for the last minute and a half and re-listen to that with the pen, pen and paper in hand. That was pretty awesome. That's that, that's impactful. I mean, I again, you're educating it's me. Huge. So that's pretty amazing. That's pretty. And amazing. if you're a real estate, this is where it gets fun. So, yeah. like, if you can qualify one of the one spouse as a real estate professional, you can take any of your losses that you generate on your real estate against their active income. So. Uh, in this last week, we've had two of these where one spouse was a high earner, one was a doctor, one was the consultant, where they were making, um, I'll just say, high six-figure. Mm -hmm. And the real estate generated losses of about 160000 170000 just by doing a cost seg. And the other spouse qualified as a real estate professional. So it allowed us to take the loss 
against the other active income. So the, the real life savings was 81,000 for one of the clients and the other clients was close to 90,000. Uh, all because you decided just to do a quick study and we're talking like it takes a week and you're done and, and boom. That, and that's real life tax savings, 80,000 in their pocket. That's in not, their pocket, right? That's the tax. That's the savings. amount of the, the, the taxes that they don't have to pay this year that they otherwise would have not a deduction, not the, the deduction, actual. the saving. That's crazy. That's yep. awesome. Awesome stuff. So, uh, so Toby, I want to respect your time. We're, we're, we're about a half an hour now and a uh, couple, couple off the wall questions I'd like to end with. And uh, then, then mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap here. Um, favorite purchase hundred dollars, around a hundred dollars in the last, uh, in the last year and a half or so. Have I done what? Your favorite purchase. You have, you have, a, you have a favorite purchase for oh. your favorite gift that you've gotten around a hundred dollars in the last, in the, in the last year. I get the best answers to this question. So, you know. So the best one, and it's right around a hundred bucks and it was for my wife and it's a silk pillowcase. I think it's called, (laughs) it's like all these people are telling me, you got to get this, you got to get this. And it's supposed to be like anti-aging, keep you from wrinkle, keep your, keeps your hair from getting frizzy. There's no friction on it. (laughs) I mean, skin and hair look amazing. So I must be working. That's awesome. That's awesome. My wife loves it. That makes me look better. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what books do you give out as gifts most often and why? I give out my book, uh, Tax Wise Business Ownership. Perfect. My, uh, my business partner wrote a great one called uh, Asset Protection for Real Estate Investors. We give those out to people that, uh, you know, usually if they're at an event or something, but I give those out a lot. Uh, it's like a playbook for making sure that you're not overpaying your taxes. I love it. I love it. Where can, where can our, uh, our, our guests uh, or listeners find that book? Is it on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Uh, just look under Toby Mathis or just go to Anderson business, AndersonAdvisors.com. That's our website. If you type in Toby Mathis, you'll see all of our stuff. I'm, I'm pretty prolific on the internet. Awesome. Um, and then Anderson Advisors, you can go there. And by the way, here's, here's a fun one. We do a, a free uh, all you can ask tax, we call it tax Tuesday, every other Tuesday where they can ask any tax question. You don't have to pay to get in. It's free. We just do it open to the public. Um, all you do is you, you just have to sign in for it. It's a, it's a big, huge go-to uh, meeting. You know, it's a go-to webinar, but uh, no cost, no obligation. No, nobody's hitting you over the head for anything. You can ask any tax question you want. There's no cost. I love, love doing that. They're usually about an hour and a half and they're fun because people go on there and usually with their accountant, they can ask questions and it's myself and another CPA has been doing it for 30 years and we just answer any question that you could throw at us. Cool. Cool. And that's on your website. That's yeah, the you, can get, you can get it on our website. Okay, cool. Yep. We'll make sure we post a link in the, in the, um, in the show notes as well. Nothing uh, better than free. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Toby, anything, uh, any questions I missed before we go? Anything uh, I didn't cover or anything that you wanted to add to uh, the podcast? Make sure the listeners know. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave you with one, one, one thought. In our country, we have a really, like we have a backwards way of, of handling our state planning. It's a die and distribute methodology where parents leave their kids things and you think that you're doing them a favor. In the studies, everything that I've seen and the studies back this up, you're doing them a disservice. In fact, uh, the Ohio University and Duke did a, a study and they showed that if you get a windfall, you're going to have about 16% of it left after five years. And the problem is you've changed somebody's lifestyle during that five years. And so uh, the only studies that we have that are really strong are show lottery winners. 
their bankruptcy rate skyrockets after five-year periods. That's about the magic period. They've changed their lifestyle. All of a sudden, the money runs out. You've just done them a huge disservice. So proper estate planning and creating a legacy means protecting people even from themselves. And it's not expensive. It's actually cheaper than doing a will and cheaper than doing everything the wrong way, which is just to create something where it's need-based. And I would encourage everybody to create a legacy where you're putting something in place. And if you say, I don't have any money, well, you have a, you have a life. You could, you could even buy life insurance and let it fund when you're dead. But you, everybody can create a plan that's going to last many, many years. And it could just be for education. It could be to get people to travel internationally. You could choose whatever purpose you want for it. It's actually really easy to do. And I am shocked that more people don't do it. So I would say, if you want to create a legacy, you articulate what it looks like and what your values are. You put it in a plan, you'll work that much harder for it. That might be one of the best, one of the best minute and a half synopsises of the of how to build a legacy. I love it. It actually ties into one of my favorite books. It's called The Millionaire Next Door, talking about how the legacy wealth is so hard to keep because of of how people blow it. But uh, that that's that's fantastic. Toby, I love it, man. You added some real, real value to the the audience today. A lot of great nuggets. Um, We're going to put your contact information in here. Uh, I urge you guys, definitely get in contact. Check out um, Toby's free tax advice each week. Check out the website. Uh, Toby, I really, really appreciate you being on the, uh, the podcast today. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. 